0: And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul." Chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off.
1: Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word, Lord, that um, is living and active and is able to pierce our souls. Lord, I pray today that you would um, minister to us through your Holy Spirit, that you would use Matt, and that um, we would leave here changed by your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. The last two Sundays, we've had a a couple of other pastors preaching. I took a couple of weeks off, kind of. I had other work that I needed to take care of. And so we brought in a couple of other pastors who are brothers from sister churches. That sounds weird, but that's how it is. (laughs) And last Wednesday, uh, we were able to spend some time with my in-laws, Shannon's parents, um, my daughter was out of town. It was me and my daughter and my 20-year-old son and uh, Jim and Pat Bayes, Shanna's parents. We went to, they live all the way down in South Bay. We, we were down by the border, and we met halfway off of Arrow Drive, off of the 15. We met up at the Rubio's there, had a nice lunch together. And then we were hanging out by the car, just chatting. And in the middle of the conversation, my son kind of walks around the group, walks up to me, he removes my sunglasses, snaps them in half, and starts laughing. Everything I just told you is true. And I could see some confused looks on your faces, like, why in the world would that happen? Why would he do that? Why would Matt let him do that? Now, if that's all the information that you have, you know, what kind of conclusions would you come to? There would probably be some pretty crazy conclusions, like Dakota's a jerk and Matt's a weakling for letting them do that. Well, you have limited information. Sunglasses I was wearing were cheap $10 sunglasses. Dakota has had decent sunglasses, and when the arm on the glasses got a little tweaked, he was able just, just to tweak it and bend it back in place, real easy, and it was fixed. He didn't know that when he did that to my glasses, they would snap in half. And the reason I let him take the glasses off of my face is because in the past, since I'm blind, I can't see the smudges all over my glasses, and he's in the past of taking them, clean them, and give them back to me because you know I'm incompetent <laughs> and blind. And then he laughed because he was surprised and he couldn't believe that he just went over, took my glasses off, and broke them. If that's all you had was the unlimited, and that totally changes, having the backstory changes, you know, your understanding of what happened, right? In small situations and significant situations, but also significant ones. I can't tell you, I, I meet so many white people who are baffled by the, uh, the, the anger that of, of our, our black friends because of the injustice that they have suffered throughout history of our nation and in their own life, present day. And people don't understand or they ignore it or they don't listen. And then they come to all kinds of weird, messed up conclusions about people who are going through that, and it's messed up because they have ignored the backstory or diminished the story or whatever. See, here's the deal: the backstory shapes today's story in two ways: you either remember who you are and where you came from, or you forget who you are and where you came from. If you look at the church today without the backstory we can come to all kinds of distorted conclusions about what the church is supposed to be. Today we're starting a sermon series called Back to Our Roots. And our series will look back to the early church, churches found in different cities uh, throughout the the book of Acts. And what I want us to do is I want us to learn from these churches to see more clearly what kind of church God is calling us, infusion church church. To be. So we're going to look back to our roots. There's a theologian by the name of, of Michael Green, and he says this Three critical decades in world history. That's all it took. In the years between 33 AD and 64 AD, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got significant growth and credibility to become the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed of all of this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women. So what can we learn from these people who turned the world upside down in such a short space of time? We need to learn from the early church, both the good and the bad. And our prayer must be, Lord, how can we be more of a church that you have called us to be? And so today, we begin by looking at the church found in the city of Antioch. This church is a church on mission. And we're going to look at three characteristics this morning from this passage. And the first one, if you're taking notes, the first one is this. That all are sent. All are sent. And that applies to us, you and me. We are all sent to advance the good news of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he's doing, to advance his kingdom of grace in our city and around the world, all are sent. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And with authority, he says to you and to me, to all of us, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So, how did this great commission, as it's called, how did it play out in this church in the city of Antioch? Well, let's consider their context, right? Let's consider the larger story, the backdrop. In that context, in that day, the city of Antioch was one of the greatest cities in the Roman Empire. It it was the third largest city behind Rome and Alexandria. It was 300 miles north of Jerusalem and, and 20 miles inland from the shore of the Mediterranean. It was a melting pot of multiple cultures. Greeks, Romans, Jews, Persians, Arabs. Antioch was famous for its, its uh, a chariot racing. They were also famous for this uninhibited, relentless pursuit of pleasure. Antioch was like the Las Vegas of its day. A truly cosmopolitan city with a population of over 500,000 people. That's Antioch in a nutshell. And it was in this city, this decadent City that a church was born. And this little church began to flourish. And this little church became all about sending, sending people out. Well, let me give you more of the backstory In verse 19, Christians who were scattered because of the persecution traveled as far as Antioch. And as a result, verse 19, some were speaking the word to, to no one except for the Jews. But there were some who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And so the gospel was being shared with both Jews and Gentiles. So what we see right here in our passage is a transition in the book of Acts. All the way up from the beginning up to chapter 11, the the storyline has been focused on the Apostle Peter and the church in the city of Jerusalem. Okay? But now we see that the good news is advancing Because Jesus is for all people groups and unites all people groups. And the advancement all started with suffering. Listen. A few weeks ago, one of the things that I mentioned, when we were in a series um, called Forged by Suffering, I reminded us that our mission... Leading people, glorifying God as we lead people to and through a life changing relationship with Jesus and his family, will only be accomplished through suffering. Meaning, it won't happen without suffering. It is a necessary ingredient in the pursuit of our mission. That sounds a little frustrating, doesn't it? But here's the deal you need to remember that God hates suffering more than you do. You just gotta look to the cross. That's what he did to eliminate suffering. But he also redeems your suffering to use it for good. And all you got to do to be convinced of that is to look at the cross. The worst thing that ever happened, the murder of God the Son, become the best thing and the most beautiful thing that ever happened. We couldn't see how it would work out that way, but that's what God does. He is a redeemer. So... God uses suffering to advance God's grace in our lives and also in the lives of others. And suffering has a way, when it is redeemed, it has a way of moving us into action for God's glory. Let me tell you something. That's exactly how I ended up in Escondido. I'm from South Bay, National City area. I never said, hmm, you know what, I really need to get to Escondido. It wasn't on my like, list of goals or anything like that. I wasn't planning on, on being here. It just wasn't part of the plan. I didn't know that God was, he knew he was going to bring me here. And he brought me here six years ago. And I'm so glad he did because now I get to meet you all. And I love my church family. I mean, I, I had no idea you all were in my future here in Escondido. And my heart is full. I had no clue. I mean, I didn't know if I was going to get there. Because when I started coming here, I felt like I was cheating on my other church that I loved, you know? Like, am I, is it okay? Am I allowed to love new people? But he brought me here. Brought my family here. And you all have blessed us so much. God used hard times in, in, in my life, and my family's life, to send me here. And you know, it's going to look different for all of you. You may, you may be thinking, what do you mean we're all sent? What do you mean God sent me here? He did send you here. But you're like, I was born here. And I've lived here for 50 Before the creation of the heavens and the earth, God decided to send you specifically to this city or to North County somewhere. It was all part of God's plan. You're all saying, and it happens differently for different people. I, you know, I just I'm, I'm just amazed at, at uh, the, the leadership in, in this church. Um, for example, Tom Wing and his family lived up in Fallbrook. He they believe that God's called them to be a part of this church and this mission, and so to be more effective and to be more a part of it, he moved from Fallbrook to Escondido. The Nixes lived in Vista. They wanted to be more connected, more part of the mission, so they moved in to Escondido. Josh and his family lived in Golden Hill. He was part of the music scene there, and and he loved it there, and, you know, I mean, both he and I are are city boys, and he swore he would never move to Escondido, uh, but God gave him a heart for the church and for the city, and he moved here to Escondido, Brock lived in Fallbrook. He knew God called him to be a part of this church and its mission. And so he moved into Escondido. I I mean, I'm amazed at the way that God has has brought different people into this church. Either it was part of a deliberate plan or God arranged circumstances so that you would be here. Either way, God has sent you here with a purpose and to be a part of, of his mission. So what we see here in, in, with these Christians who were enduring persecution in the city of Jerusalem, they were driven out, they end up in Antioch because God sent them there with a purpose. They are, God is advancing his truth and his grace through them and then they lived out their sentness there in the city of Antioch. And after a while, God used that to bring revival and to transform that great city. See, when you see that God has sent you to be a part of his mission, that changes the way that you look at your life and your priorities and your money and your time and everything. It radically changes it. God has called you to advance his good news, his truth, his grace, his kingdom. And when that happens, there are two things that happen to you. First of all, you know, our relationships are transformed. Antioch had, you know, this wall, a great wall around the city, just like many other cities. But this city of Antioch also had walls within the city, the city built Walls within the city because the different races and the different cultures clashed. And so the city built these walls and created 18 different sections in Antioch to segregate everybody. And the only time people crossed over the wall was to fight somebody. But when the gospel comes into the city, for the first time, and as it spreads, people began to climb the walls, break through barriers, to worship together. These Christians saw themselves as being sent for the kingdom of God. They put their own preferences, their own culture, their own way of doing things, they put that aside to worship with those who were nothing like them other than they had this common allegiance to King Jesus. They weren't focused on what they liked and what they preferred because God sent them. And as a result, relationships were transformed and a diverse church was formed right there in Antioch. Every, and, and what happens in a diverse church from different cultures and different life experiences is that everybody has a fuller and more complete understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done and his truth. Because if we're all, uh, um, you know, the same kind of of people with the same kind of experiences, we are limited in our understanding of of God, and so we need to have other people as a part of our church so that we can grow in in maturity. And so diversity is is, uh, I think, a beautiful gift from the Lord that is healthy for for His church, and that is exactly what He did in the city. Of, of Antioch. They had a fuller understanding of God because they were different. And even later in chapter 13, you see that the, the leadership reflected diversity. The leaders name there represented three different uh, continents and four different racial groups. Everyone else in the city that was living in their different segments, living segregated lives, they're, they're watching this new group of people. I mean, they're from all different cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities but there's something unique about them that transcends all of that and makes them set apart or different than everybody else and they didn't know what to call these people. So you know what they did? They made up a word. Verse 25 and the disciples in Antioch it was there where they were first called Christians. Now, I'm from National City. It's a little bit more diverse. That's what I grew up with. And I come to Escondido, and I I came to this church, and to be honest with you, I was surprised by how Anglo it was. And I'm Anglo! (laughs) I was freaked out, and I'm I'm Anglo. And and here's what's kind of cool, is is that, you know... uh, I've seen that improve slowly but surely more and more people from different church backgrounds from different parts of the country maybe other countries maybe different you know ethnicities or cultures or or socioeconomic class or, or whatever, I mean, we start looking at it, it, it looks on paper anyway to be a lot more uh, diverse than we might seem on the future, but I, but w- that we might see on the future, but I'm convinced th- that God wants us to continue to grow in that. I'm convinced to, in, a, in, a, in a deliberate way. We don't usually drift into what God has for us. God usually calls us to something to move us into um, action. Here's what I also, here's the other part of that. Um, so I've been in Escondido for six years. And apparently the population is around 149,000 people, which is weird because it seems like a small town. But there's a, almost 150,000 people in Escondido. And um, there are, are part. I mean, with 149,000, that's a big city. There are parts that are kind of, kind of urban, like downtown Escondido. And then there's uh, lots of suburban areas, lots of rural areas. It seems to be kind of like this this city that has multiple personalities. And, um, and you rarely see everybody in one place at the same time except for maybe 4th of July and then Grape Day Park overflows with, with people. And, and what I've observed here, I mean, as an outsider coming in, if, you, if you've lived here your whole life, maybe you didn't notice this, um, Uh, But as as an outsider coming in, what I've noticed is it seems like within the city, people kind of quietly segregate themselves. And not just in churches, but, but in general. No walls necessary. They just do it. And so there are other barriers, invisible barriers. Sin has a way of creating a wall around our hearts and and then we stick with what we're familiar with, what we're comfortable with, what we like. We don't do things that way or we look down on them for, for liking, you know, that music or that, you know, cheap beer, whatever it is. So we don't hang out with them. But that all, you realize how stupid that all is. When you realize that God has called you to be on mission to advance his gospel to everyone. When that's your purpose. To advance, um, his, uh, to advance the, the knowledge of Jesus in, in word and deed. And we see that needs to change. And so what that means for us as a church is in this city that segregates itself, we have an opportunity to represent the diverse kingdom of God. We have an excellent opportunity for, to, to represent the diverse kingdom of God and for other people to say, wait a second, what's going on with these people? They're different than the rest of us that, that segregates ourselves. God has called us to represent a new people here. God has called us to be a new city within our city. What amazing opportunity we have as a church. Second, Christians who know they are sent um, will grow in humility and service. Verse 21. And a great, number who turned to the, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them to all who remained faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now, Barnabas comes in. He's amazed what was already kind of in motion, and then all of a sudden, he rolls his sleeves up, gets to work, starts doing a ton of ministry, and then the church explodes. And I imagine people saying, Barnabas, you're, you're awesome, man. You are like the greatest pastor, leader eh, ever. Ever. Now most pastors, when if that were to happen, I mean, if that happened to me, my head would probably get bigger than it already is, and I have a giant melon. So Barnabas, did he get? Did his his ego explode and and blow up and say, Yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's my turn to shine now. You all watch and learn, kids, and be ye amazed. Got a book deal right around the corner. Gonna go on conferences. No, instead he says, you know what? I actually know a better teacher, a better preacher, a better leader, and I'm going to go get him. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him, brought him to Antioch. There's an author that I appreciate very much. Um... And he's a retired pastor now. His name's Timothy Keller. And here's what he says about Barnabas. His whole attitude was service. He went to the city to serve. He went to partner. He went to the city to be on teams. He went away to give what he could do to someone else. He went to the city and gave a man a job who he knew would do a better job and get a lot more glory than he See, Barnabas, he understood the power of the gospel and the power of grace. Therefore, he understood it wasn't about him, that it was about God, and that God had sent him to serve and bless, not himself, and not to bring glory to himself, but to serve others and to bring glory to God. See, here's the thing about people who realize that they are sent. They're not entitled. They're not demanding. They don't get all frustrated if they feel like they've been overlooked or or whatever. They realize that they are servants of God and work as unto the Lord. And so what happens when you realize that you are sent by God, you complain a lot less. Here's, Here's a good clue. If you find yourself complaining You've lost sight of your purpose. Because God wants to work through the brokenness. He wants to work through the suffering. He redeems it all, and he gets that much more glory. So when you see that you were sent by God, you just complain less, and you live for others and for God's glory. I mean, I'm not saying that, that you just endure injustice and let the wrongs go. But your whole attitude is different when, when you try to set things right. It's about God and and his glory. People who are sent don't say, I must have a church that makes me happy in all of these different areas. I need to be able to check off all of these boxes to make sure that I feel good about where I'm at. Sent people, they're not like that. They focus on the essentials. And there are other things that might be nice, other things that are broken could be fixed. But you realize that you're sent. It changes everything. You know what? When I when I, I had this chance to go uh, to Thailand and to Africa. In Thailand, I got to preach at this little, this whole village came to know Christ before I got there. And they asked this white boy to preach to their village. They all, they all showed, they all built this bamboo little chapel thing where before nothing existed. They decorated it with their literal first fruits of, of the gardening that, that they, they did. And they all sat down together. They didn't have any child care. They didn't have any children's curriculum. They didn't have any air conditioning. They didn't have electric guitars or, or anything like that. And they were full of the joy of the Lord. I went, we went to Africa, and then I got to spend some time there. We went to the Kabira slum. I mean, it was just built on a, on a dump. And, and you know, the church service was already in progress when we started walking into the village, and these kids that showed up and they escorted us to the church, and we heard this, 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 this drum and this singing that got louder and louder. And we get in into the to this little chapel that they had, and it was packed. With everybody, men, women, children, babies, everything. And they were singing with a full voice. And they didn't have an overhead projector. And, and, and they didn't have hymnals. They didn't have a keyboard. They had a woman who sat in the front row and she had a drum. And she was pounding the drum. And then she'd sing out a line and they'd echo it. And then she'd sing out a line and they'd echo it. And they were just filled with the joy of the Lord. They were like, man, where's the air conditioning? Where's the smoke machine and the lasers, you know? There's nothing wrong with these things. In fact, you know, if we realize that the purpose of the different things that we do is to connect with the culture in a meaningful way, then to God be the glory. But if we make them what it is that we have to have for us to feel like we're part of a cool church or whatever, then forget it. Let's just throw it all in the dump. We got to keep first things first, and we're centered on the gospel, on who Jesus is, and what he's done, and he has sent us, he sent us here to bless others, and not to be a church for ourselves alone, but to reach out so that we can see other people come to know Christ, and so that he will use us to advance his kingdom here where God has placed us. Any questions about that part? sent people say, let's have a church that blesses our city with the truth and love of Jesus. You know what the result would be? We'd become the great church we never knew we wanted. God is the one who sends us. God is the one who makes it all happen. And we see this phrase throughout the book of Acts where it says, and the word of the Lord continued to spread. And the word here is personified because the, the word is doing this because God is doing this. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you might think you're living here because you know, of your job, you think you're living here because of you know, the school district or whatever, or, or because you have family here, or because you love the weather and that it gets to 109 degrees. But first and foremost, you are here because God deliberately placed you here to advance his truth and grace Of King Jesus and his kingdom. You are not here by accident. You're all missionaries in one way, shape, or form. But more, I think it's more important for us to see ourselves as a missionary church with different people having different roles to play, functioning as one body. Everybody has their role to play. God sent you here. And if we get this, we'll be less self-obsessed. We'll, be, we'll complain less. We, we won't be focused on ourselves as much because we see that all of us are sent to advance the gospel. Second, that's my longest point, by the way. Church on mission is zealous to bless and to give. These Christians here in Antioch, they were zealous. They were determined to give away the resources and their leaders. Verse 26 says, poem Barnabas for a whole year met with the church and taught them, taught, taught a great many people. It was discipleship that was happening. Like what we do in our men's group, our women's group, our gospel DNA groups, in our home groups. Verse 28, and one of them named Agabus, who was a prophet who came up from Jerusalem, foretold that by the Spirit... There would be a great famine all over the world. And so the disciples determined, every one of them according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the uh, elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they get word that a uh, uh, famine is coming. So the church rallies together its resources to give it away. It was a natural response. No guilt tripping. They were determined. It was sacrificial. So they were not motivated by manipulation or guilt. They were motivated by the grace of God to bless others. And to bless them significantly. See, what was happening is, is people here in Antioch, they were experiencing the warmth and the joy and the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. Many for the first time, lives were being transformed and they were maturing. And over a year, they were growing in their understanding of the gospel and the implications for their lives, how to apply it to their hearts and lives and reorder all of their priorities. It's discipleship. And the good news did not lead them to be ingrown and preoccupied with their wants and with their desires and their possessions and what they have and what they don't have. It moved them outward in action. Here's what I believe and what I see in the book of Acts. Maturity and mission go hand in hand. The more you grow in maturity the more you will be on mission. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not that mature right now, so I'm not going to be on mission. But let me tell you something. The other side of the coin is true also. The more you are on mission, the more you will grow in maturity. That is how we see discipleship happen in the Gospels and in, and, uh, in the book of, of Acts and, and throughout the epistles. these christians were on missions so they put their money where their mouth is to bless others and then they also give away their some leaders i mean Barnabas shows up in Antioch and sees what's happening and rolls up his sleeve. He gets to work, puts a ton of work into the church, and God uses him to build uh, build the church up to great numbers, and then he recruits the apostle Paul. Revival hits in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off to advance the mission. These were not just any two leaders. Paul was the ultimate church planter and wrote most of the New Testament. Barnabas was the the ultimate selfless leader and encourager who, who recruited Paul so that together they could build up the church. And now this church is sending them out. How could they do that? The Holy Spirit was among them. They depended on prayer. They talked to God, and they listened. And they they listened to God in in different ways, especially the truth of the gospel found in the word of God. I think, unfortunately, we forget the Holy Spirit exists. I I think in in modern-day churches, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. I mean, the word is significant, but i think we for it's like the holy spirit's the red-headed stepchild that we just don't want to think about it's the weirdest thing i think as a church we need to pray that god would move that his spirit would move among us and give us uh, continue to give us clarity on his word and the gospel and the calling he's given to us and and on our individual lives but also together as a, as as a church and this church was so transformed by the Holy Spirit and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that they were committed to the gospel's advancement. They didn't, res- they didn't hoard resources in, in leaders. They became, this church, Antioch, became like this headquarters, this base from which they sent leaders out with resources. Most churches today spend so much time, money, and energy on, on self-preservation, What they like, their preferences, and then they wither and die. Acts shows us churches that that release their most capable people with with resources to reach those who need the love and truth of Jesus. And so here's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be here on on Sundays as brothers and sisters and and to sing praises to, uh, to God for Jesus and what he's done, because when we do that, our hearts are stirred up in love uh, and loyalty to Jesus and, and his mission for who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. That becomes more important to us when we worship together and when we see how important it is to us and how important it is to the world, we will want to see others to come know him and be blessed by Jesus the way we are. And so we want to share Jesus his truth and his love and not in a condescending way you're an idiot give your life to Jesus kind of a way not not with like drive by insulting condescending facebook posts to make yourself feel better or just because you think it's funny god's called us to love who he loves to, to share the truth and love of Jesus in a winsome and humble way that, that serves and crosses barriers and heals relationships. So much evangelism is done in a way that's damaging to relationships. I'm not saying compromise the truth, but let the truth shape the way that you treat others. I want our church to, I want all of us. Together for us to be a people who know that we are sent, that God has a mission for us. Locally, but not just locally, globally as well. That's why we started praying for unreached people groups of the nations. When the Becky's brought that up, I was like, you know what? This is just painfully missing from the culture of our church. We need to start praying that God stirs our hearts for the nations. So we started praying for the nations every single Sunday because it's so easy to think that we're the only church that exists. There, there are people everywhere and leaders everywhere around the globe who need you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel for the advancement of his kingdom. Author Kevin DeYoung um, said this. He says, we are all called to participate in Christ's mission. Yes, we are. You can serve Christ right where you are. Yes, you can. Over and over again, Christians are being told that their mission field is right where they are, and that is true, but only partially so. It's so much more than that. It's a global clarion call for disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. God wants to use us in that, and so we're praying for this, that we would be eager to serve and to bless locally and globally. My last point is why. Why? Because God sent his son. This is our basis. God sent his son. The word sent is a key word in our passage in chapter eleven twenty two 22, it says the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas. In verse 30, the church in Antioch sent their gifts to the church in Jerusalem. In chapter 13, 3, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the leadership. This is the theme of the church, and it flows from God sending his son. The gospel is about advancement. It's about sending And in God, the sinner becomes the sent. And as a result of Jesus living out his life and being sent, the ultimate relationship is transformed. Our relationship with God is restored. Just like the walls in Antioch separated uh, uh, people from each other, in the temple, the place where God dwelled, the place of worship, was walled off by this this thick curtain that, that symbolized our separation from God because He is holy and we are sinners. But Jesus was sent to pay the price for our sin on the cross with His perfect life to obliterate the barrier. And when Jesus died, there was this terrible earthquake and the curtain in the temple was, was ripped in half. And this symbolized to us, it told us that Jesus overcame, that he obliterated the, the barrier so that we could have access to God our Father, to be united with him, to be one with him. Jesus perfectly lived out the life of one who was sent And perfectly embodied humility and service like no other. And he did it to rescue us. And then to give us all the credit for what he did. That's amazing. That blows my mind. Here's something I I really hope you understand. The father sent his son into this world. Not just to be an example for us to emulate. God sent Jesus into the world not just to be a teacher for us to obey. God sent his son Jesus into the world to be our savior for us to receive. He is more than an example. Imagine you're on a boat, I don't know, five miles off the coast of Oceanside. And it's starting to sink. It's going down, no doubt about it. But weirdly enough, Michael Phelps is on the boat, the gold medal award-winning swimmer. And he stands up and says, all right, everybody, everything's going to be okay. Just follow me. And he dives in the water. Let's go. We're going to swim, everybody. Would that fill you with hope and relief? I swim like a rock. I'm going down. I need, we all need someone to rescue us. Christianity is about God sending Jesus to rescue us. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world, including counterfeit Christianity that presents just principles and rules for you to follow so that you can have your best life now. Christianity is not about what you do to get into a right relationship with God to save yourself. It's, about, it's, it's, it's not about you figuring out how you can you know, climb over the wall or cross the barrier. Jesus did that by his grace and his grace alone through the cross. And it is his grace that is the basis for living by grace. Everything else gets you to move and live out of guilt. God moves us through his grace. And when he brings you in, he never brings you in without sending you out. He brings you in in order to send you out. We see this in the church in Antioch. And we need to see that more and more in our own church, that we are sent and we are to send. We are to give away our resources and send people out. So I want us as a church, as Infusion Church, for us to be praying about this that we don't lose sight of our calling, that we don't just go through the motions. I want every single one of you to pray, God, how, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for me to be sent? And, and, and then more importantly, what does it mean for us collectively as a church and what role will you play? Ask God, how can I be sent and or sent? See, different people have different roles, different capabilities and capacities, so it's gonna look different, but it's all parts of the body working together as one. You're asking, how does God want to use you? We all have a role and we work together. In Acts, we see these fledgling churches that are trying to survive, but they are being used by God because the power of the Holy Spirit was among them and they had the truth of the gospel. And it was God at work. They were being used by God to transform the world because they were centered on the power of God unto salvation which is the gospel within 3 decades it took root and within 3 centuries the entire roman empire was radically transformed and the reason for all of this was not because God only used christians who were you know super special and gifted but God used regular people weak people like us he works through them by the power of the holy spirit and the gospel Because it gives him more glory. So we can't take credit for any of it. So don't think I can't be used by God, because that's a lie. God can and will use you as you depend on him and as you trust the gospel. You know what? The God of the church in Antioch is the same God of the church here in Escondido called Infusion. Same God. So let's pray that God will use us to glorify him as we lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family in our city and around the world. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?